Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Not the most famous bit of the story, but it's a really interesting kind of transition. If you've been with us in this series, you're going to know as we've been looking at Joseph, those same brothers are the ones who betrayed him. They're the ones who sold him out and, um, and, and he ends up going to Egypt uh, totally against his will as a slave. And then he goes through various, um, you know, he goes from bad to worse. He ends up being thrown um, into, well, he ends up as a slave in a palace and then he's falsely accused and then he gets put into the prison and he ends up, because he's such a good steward and because God's favours with him, he ends up being put in charge of everything. And then eventually we've been looking the last few weeks at how he he ends up in Pharaoh's court and interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. And then he's given the, the, the authority to be able to run the economic plan for the whole of the nation which believe it or not there were times in nations histories when people didn't have a clue what was going to go on in terms of government and in terms of finances and in terms of the economy and um, you know that I know that would never happen again um, but that was how it really was at the time and yet this person with the spirit of God inside of him they actually recognized him they said this guy's got the spirit of God inside of him and that's what qualified him to be able to be the advisor to the kings and to be able to put in, to put in place God's wisdom which saved the nation and that's something I think in all of this um, stuff we've got going on at the moment whatever your political persuasion what we need to be doing is to pray for God's wisdom we need to pray for God's mercy we need to pray for for God's help for all of those in authority in fact we're commanded in scripture to do that we're not to just complain about them we're actually commanded he says first of all I urge then that prayers and intercessions be made for those in authority so that then we might be godly ruined, not godly ruined, godly ruled, and, uh, and that through that the gospel will prevail. So it's really important for us to be able to pray and intercede for those in authority um, at this time, because just by complaining about it, we get on the side of, um, of confusion rather than on the side of God. So let's just do that now as we pray. Lord, I thank you for um, you having a plan and a purpose for our lives and for this nation and for the nations around us and Lord we pray for all of those in authority right now who are in in disarray as they just keep on saying we don't know what to do Uh, Lord if they admit it Lord uh, ultimately it's not something anybody ever wants to admit but there's such confusion and we pray Lord for your wisdom to be made known and made clear and Lord we thank you that you are enthroned over the whole of history there's nothing that going on that surprises you there's nothing that is out of your hands so we pray Lord for uh, your will and your dream to be revealed in Jesus name amen so I want to look at Genesis chapter 42 and it's that incident when uh, it, it Jacob sends his sons because there's a famine going on and he hears that actually there's one place where there isn't famine which is uh, Egypt because they seem to have this different um, economic plan because they've saved for seven years and now we're in seven years of famine um, that these people seem to have done something differently with regard to what 
they've been provided with and so therefore they're able to live differently as a result of that. So they go to find out why and to be able to get from them and so he sends them. But you see as you look in Genesis chapter 42, some of the, the kind of cloud that there is around a guilty conscience, around a guilty action when we've done something wrong or when something wrong has happened when something bad has happened and we've been part of it in some way you end up with this sort of cloud and atmosphere even you know you can kind of walk in the room and you know uh oh something something's not right here you know what I mean you know something's happened and you, and you, you kind of get that is there's a smell in Jacob's house basically and it's all to do with this thing that happened years before that nobody talks about there's this thing that went on all these years ago in the family and there's this family secret and some people know about it and some people don't know about it but this thing now is is there's a guilty secret that is holding everybody back and stopping them from going forward so Jacob says this and I'm going to pick out a few of the kind of things that end up if you don't address stuff if things don't get dealt with if things don't get spoken about if things just get left they don't get better they get worse and this is what happens over years in this house and so in in Genesis 42 it says then Jacob when Jacob saw there was no that there was grain in Egypt he said to his sons why are you just looking at each other guilty looks that's one thing people are like looking at why are you just looking at each other he said, indeed, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy from, for us there so that we may live and not die. Like they, until then, nobody knew what to do. That can be another sort of thing that happens. It's just like you end up with this, um, when, you, when you feel trapped, when you feel stuck in something, you just don't know what to do. You end up just looking at each other. There's no way of making a decision. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob didn't send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers for he said, lest some calamity befall him. Why would he say that? He doesn't want happening to Benjamin. What happened to Joseph? So there's a lack of trust now that's gone on as a result of this thing that's gone on there's a this division it's splitting up the family you see how these things how is the bible so bang up to date in terms of what you know there, there isn't anything that happens in your family in my family in our relationships in our churches that 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 hasn't happened before and won't happen again it's just this is life this is how people are and this is thankfully we're going to find out how god is too and the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land of Egypt. It was he who sold to all the people. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognised them. But he acted like a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And then he said, where do you come from? So they're all bowing down in the ground. There's this, this fear. There's... there's, um, there's there's, there's famine, there's, there's like, the, the, all, I think I'm tracing all these things back to the guilty thing that happened. As a result of that, there's like people aren't sure about anybody. And there's, there's always lack, there's always, there's never enough when there's fear. And it's all getting messier and messier. And, and we're going to see, you know, later on in a couple of, well, as, as we continue in the series, we're going to see how Joseph forgave. But he didn't do it immediately. You know, it isn't, as you read this story, it isn't like he, he immediately just went straight into forgiveness. He's looking and he counts brothers and he realises one's missing. So then he's thinking, oh, hang on, I've got a brother called Benjamin. 
and these are all half brothers this is one of my, my real brother who's the youngest what's happened to Benjamin have they done something to him like they did to me that's what's going on he said we've come from the land of Canaan to buy food Joseph recognized his brothers but they didn't recognize him well they wouldn't you know it's been a long time and he's not dressed the same <laughs> and he was 17 and now it's like you know I don't know 12 years at least have passed 13 years I think that he's had and he's a different person and he's you know wearing he looks like he walks like an Egyptian just to quote an old song <laughs> and um, it's like what's going on he, he, he sees them and, and, he, and, he, and he thinks oh they don't recognize me but then he remembers it says the dreams which he dreamed about them it's like like, like Aoife said sometimes the dream comes true in a way that we wouldn't have expected it it doesn't look like the dream just came true he wouldn't have thought years ago he thought I'm going to tell you the dream then you're going to bow, bow down to me to make it easier for you I'll tell you this dream that I've had so that then you can submit to me and that was the last thing that he should have done by telling them the dream he was actually he ended up creating the nightmare because it was, it was you know just because God tells you something doesn't mean you have to tell everybody so he said to them, you're spies, you've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all one man's sons. We are honest men. Bad move. <laughs> Bad move. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Uh, there's a book. How to, make, how to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And it starts out, the very first chapter basically says nobody ever thinks of themselves as being a bad person. Yes. Nobody does. Everybody thinks, and he, 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 I think it's written in the 1950s, the book, and he talks about something that was in the paper at the time. It was this guy who'd been a, a bank robber who'd killed policemen who'd come after him and ended up holed up in a skyscraper like a James Cagney kind of gangster sort of person. And they all came around and they ended up, he got shot as he was arrested and he was dragged off into the police car. And he's, in his last words as he was dragged off by the police, it was the headlines, was, I'm not a bad man. Nobody thinks of themselves as being a bad person. So no matter, even though they've got this guilt going on, even though they've got these recriminations, even though they've got this kind of this shame that's hanging over like a bad smell, even though there's this sort of spirit of heaviness that is going to be over them, they basically still think of themselves as being good people. Everybody thinks of themselves generally as being a good person. We just have to switch around our morals in order to be able to make us feel like that. There's a thing called cognitive dissonance. The idea that, that basically we will always act in a way that is congruent with who we think we are. And we generally are going to think that we are a good person. So if that happened, if I did that, it's only because they're bad and they deserved it to happen to them. So you can even end up with a story whereby in their heads, Joseph, the guy who died, have, most of them will have made up a story whereby they, Joseph kind of deserved it because he was a bit of a prat anyway. You know, and if he'd not said this and done that and done that, the, you know, there's ways of us being able to excuse ourselves rather than accuse ourselves. He said, no, you're spies. And then he, he basically ends up um, throwing them in prison, bringing them back out again for a little after a few days. And then says, one of you are going to go and have to go and bring your other brother just to be able to show that, that uh, your story is true. And then Reuben said to them, didn't I speak to you saying, don't sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. And he's talking about what happened years before. With his, with, they end up, he's realising that, that this is in some way linked with that. 
when he's in prison and they don't know that Joseph can hear them but they're all talking about Joseph they're all talking about the thing that happened all those years back and they're saying this is now happening because of that thing that we did and Reuben's saying didn't I tell you when he was crying out to us don't throw me in the well and leave, don't leave me here you know that's for later on now his blood is required of us but they didn't know Joseph understood them verse 23 for he spoke through an interpreter and he turned away from them and wept and then he turned back to them and talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound them before his eyes and then he basically plays this trick where he puts some um, some precious kind of silver cups and things into their bags and and all of this and then when they look in that this is interesting to me when they look to that it says verse 35 they open these sacks and they find that, the, that he's put these, this silver in, this, inside of them. And now, if, if you were generally, if you were on a journey and you opened up your bags and you found some precious jewels inside of them, are you going to think a bad thing's happened? No. You're going to think, wow, that's amazing. But instead, what he says, what they think is, as they emptied the sack, surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the... Um, sorry where is it verse 21 I've got it in the wrong place basically at some point here, I can't I haven't got I haven't underlined it maybe somebody else can find it and shout out which verse it is 35 I've oh, got that one but, but it's, they basically see they think it's a bad thing that it's actually a good thing they think God's punishing us oh yeah that's it 28 so he said to his brothers, my money's been restored and there it is in my sack. Their hearts failed them and they were afraid and said to one another, what is this that God has done to us? See, there comes a point at which it, when you feel that bad, that even a good thing can feel like a punishment. Even if something good happens, in some way you can link it to, to God's doing something. God's, and, he, and, and like we were hearing before, like Abu was saying, you end up with a bad picture of God because of the bad thing that you've done and you think that God just wants to punish you and even if something good happens you think and, you, and we end up in this this kind of spiral you can end up with a picture of a God that you have to be good enough for and the problem with that is we're never good enough and it's like a ladder that reaches all the way up to heaven and none of us are going to that ladder's never going to reach and I'm never going to be good enough to be able to do more than a couple of steps and just as I get a few steps up guess what I slip right down to the bottom again that's that is the problem with me trying to be good enough because I'm not and and you end up with all of this I mean this is just it's a, it, you end up with these pictures of of God like you get like oh it's just karma you know like, like something bad happened to me because I'm because uh, I did that bad thing but maybe if I do some good things then something good will happen to me and, and it, all these different cyclical things that people get into and uh, you feel like in some way you've got to start to do some more good things and then it will weigh off against the, the bad things that I've done and all of that. This is the kind of picture that people get but it just makes more of a mess and you end up carrying around this shame. When I was a, a, a boy, a, 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 I saw this week that on, on the, uh, the, the, the sunniest place, the warmest place this week was, was Rill in North Wales who's ever been to Rill it's great it's not really but sorry unless you're from Rill uh, we used to go there every year on our holidays there was a holiday camp at Prestatyn actually just near to it we used to go to that was the that was the dream for us as kids we went to this Pontins at Prestatyn and I was with my mum one time and my, and and uh, I, I was it was supposed to be our summer holidays but I knew I was really pale and I wanted to be at least red you know, so I, um, so, so, and I wasn't, and it, the sun never came out during this holiday, but I knew my mum had this stuff that was like um, fake 
um, tan stuff that you could put on. So I got up early really one morning. It was in the bathroom and I saw it and I thought, oh, I'll put some of that on. She'll never know. So I got a little bit of it and I put it on like that. And it didn't do anything. It didn't work. I was like, oh, I'll get a bit more, put a bit more. Still not working. Oh, it's rubbish, that. Anyway, we're walking along. We're going to the kids' club I was in. They were all sponsored by cigarette companies. I was in Woodbine, I think. And we were going to do the tug of war against Park Drive or Capstan Full Strength or whatever. You honestly go, Park Drive, Park Drive. And so there was all these, these different um, you know, groups you were part of. And, and my mum said to me, have you been using my fake tan? No. <laughs> now, I should have linked that there was a reason why she was asking me the question, really, shouldn't I? Because <laughs> she wouldn't just normally say that to me. So, <laughs> so I said, no, and are you sure you haven't... Because in a minute, Mr Spank's going to go to Bottyland, kind of thing. There, there needs to be... <laughs> I, I, have you been using my fake tan? No. <laughs> and then she took me over to her shop window... And I look like Rambo. Because <laughs> this stuff, you put it on, and it turns out it doesn't act for like two hours or something like that. And then it comes out, so I had these streaks all over my face. Guilt leaves a mark. <laughs> it, and you can't just wash it off like fake tan. It's something that actually you've got to deal with. And, and I, I, there's two ways of dealing with it. There's the world's way and there's God's way. And, and 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. Uh, Paul's talking about something that he, he spoke about to the church that was a hard thing for them to be able to hear and a hard thing for him to be able to give. And he said, I'm sorry it made you sorry. But then in verse 8 he says, Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For this is it. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Leading to salvation. And is not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Two paths. There's a sorrow of the world, which is just sorry it happened. Sorry I got caught. Sorry you were hurt. Sorry. And in the, it doesn't go anywhere. It just leads to death. It doesn't actually, in the end, clear anything up. It's just, um, yeah, I'm really sorry that happened. Oh, I'm dead sorry. Sorry. You know? Or there's a different kind of sorrow, which is godly sorrow, which produces repentance, which, as we know, Hebrew, Hebrew, the Hebrew word for repentance the, the, basically means I'm going one way and I turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance means according to the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew mindset. The, the New Testament word for it, metanoia, means change of mind. So I think both of them work. It, so godly sorrow is like, oh no, that happened. I did it or it was done to me or in some way I'm part of that thing and it's, and it's wrong. It's just wrong. So now I'm I'm going to not keep doing the wrong thing. I'm going to turn around and do the right thing. I'm not just going to keep thinking the wrong things. I'm going to change my mind. That leads to salvation and is not to be regretted. Big difference. See, there's a godly kind of sorrow, which is just me feeling like sorry, even sorry for myself. Remember years ago, there was a guy who... Um, 
I did some ministry with, he was from Canada and he came over, he stayed at our house. It was while I was in the police actually, and I was just doing, did some schools evangelism stuff while I was a police officer. And this guy came over and he'd been a bank robber. And, um, and he had an amazing testimony. He came and he stayed in our house for a while. So it was a bit weird for me as a policeman at the time, having an ex bank robber staying in my house. And he'd done proper shotgun jobs and all of that. And I came in one time off a late shift and found him just on the floor, crying his eyes out in my living room. And I was like, John, what's the matter? What's going on? And he said, I'm just remembering the past. I'm just remembering something that I did. He says, and I remembered that, that there'd been a, a big collection for the cancer research and that I'd heard about it and I knew where it was. So I turned up with a mask on and a gun and I, and I robbed the cancer charity and, and I can't forgive myself for it. And he was just weeping and weeping and I, have, I had to say to him no you, you have to forgive yourself you have to Jesus died for that yeah. it's not saying it's right but Jesus died for the wrong blood was shed the most precious substance in the whole of the universe was the price was fully paid for your sin and we kind of go, well, that's a big, horrible sin. I agree. But it's, what he was getting into was worldly sorrow. And that was just going to lead to death. Problem. Now, years went on and he ended up walking away from God, walking away from the church. I don't know where he is now. This was a long time ago. But it was because he could never bring himself to forgive himself. But the problem with that is God had forgiven him. And in, and in some ways he knew that, but he couldn't, he couldn't forgive himself. You've got to hear that word. If there's something that you think God can't, God can't forgive, you're wrong again. So, so repent, turn, change your mind, go to salvation. It leads to salvation. It's, it brings you into a place of now, and what is salvation? Now I am saved. I haven't saved myself. Now I have been saved. Now I am saved. Now I will be saved. Two ways of dealing with it. I'm going to go again. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. You can hide it, you can bury it, pretend it wasn't there. You can excuse it. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. It's never going to get better. You're never going to get better. It will carry around, it will drag around with you. You'll bring it into the next relationship. You'll bring it into the next place that you're in. Everywhere you go, you're going to take the weather with you. Whoever conceals his sin does not prosper. Is burying it in the ground is radioactive. But, say but. I love these buts and I cannot lie. <laughs> but. The one who confesses and renounces. Really important. Confesses and renounces them. We'll find. We just sang about it twice because God wanted us to hear it. Mercy. Whoever conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces. So confess, what does confess mean? Literally means say the same as. Speak it out. 
Don't just do it in your mouth. Don't just do it in your mind. You've got to speak it out. You've got to say that was sin. Confess it. God says it's sin. You say it's sin. It's sin. Even if other people might not say it's sin, God says it's sin. It's sin. Ah, oh, but nobody else thinks. Everybody else thinks it's a good thing. It's all right. It's not. If the Bible says it's not, it's not. Whoever confesses his or her sin and renounces. What does renounce mean? Never again. Not one more time. Not, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, no. Renounces just means I'm never going there again. I'm never doing that again. By the grace of God, with his strength, I confess it as sin and I renounce it. I turn away from it. I, I, I turn my back on it and I walk away. And I'm never, ever going to go back there. I never want to go back there. So, the choice, do we conceal or confess? When I was a policeman, I would have been able to look at somebody like John and think compared to him I'm a good guy compared to lots of other people if I felt, ever felt bad about my own sin I could have arrested somebody else and compared myself with them I could have been like Joseph's brothers we are honest men totally trying to forget the stuff from the past which would show how dishonest how ungodly my life actually was It's easy to hide behind other people. It's easy to conceal behind other people. But the problem was I found at bedtime. When I lay, sometimes on my own, sometimes with somebody else, because I was not living for God, and the cement mixer, which my friend James Keyes used to talk about, would start to go around. The, thing, the, the, the regrets, the, the, the shame, the words, the things I'd said, the things... And, it was, and, and then you end up just trapped in this place of it going round and round and round, trying to find a way out, not being able to find a way out of that. What, what, was the, what, what could I do? Thank God somebody told me about Jesus. Thank God somebody took me to hear that there is salvation. Thank God that I heard somebody who said that the Son of God is the only perfect one. See, Joseph wasn't perfect. He couldn't forgive. He was just a human. He goes on and we find a great example of forgiveness as we continue in his story of human forgiveness. I'm not sure you could find a, a better example of human forgiveness in the end than when Joseph gets to. But it's so far removed. In the same way as, as, as me comparing my sin with other humans, for me to compare my goodness with God, it's just so far out of reach. It's, it's, it's incomprehensible. And the goodness and the love of God that's demonstrated in Jesus Christ, that, that he would take on the price, that he would become my sin. That's what the Bible says. That, that That I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus became my sin. That's what he says. He actually put on my sin. So, that, so there was a time, a moment on the cross when, when the judgment that should have fallen upon me for my sins, actually there was a moment when the sins of Anthony Delaney covered Jesus Christ. And 
that's so that the, the holiness of Jesus Christ could cover Anthony Delaney. And, and when I heard that, at first time it was too good to be true and I didn't get it. And then it was weeks and weeks later when I was driving to work, and some of you know the story, that, that I was listening to some music and it was through the words of the, the line in the song, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered, I got it. And I knew Jesus did that for me. I'd, I'd heard, I knew from being a little boy, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. I knew that stuff from being a little boy. I just didn't know what it meant. And I certainly didn't know it meant me. I didn't take it personal. And then I took it personal and everything changed. I don't know if you've ever taken it personally that, yes, you know, there's that people say, oh, well, if, 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 if he'd had to, Jesus would have come and he would have died just for, for you, for one person. It's true. And the reason it's true is that's how bad you needed it. It's not just that's how good he is. It's that's how bad I needed to be saved. I'm not, I'm not that good. There was, this, there was a, a poster I used to see in the church that I used to go to. When you walked in, this poster, it said, you're, something like, you're, you're not so good that you don't need to be saved and you're not so bad that you can't be. Some people's problem is they think they're too good. They're deluded into thinking that they're good enough for God. Some people's problem is they think they're too bad. The gospel isn't about good and bad. It's about saved and unsaved. It's about forgiven and, un and not forgiven. It's about shame or grace. It's about guilt or love and mercy. Abundant over and over. Not just once, but continual. Not just back in whenever it happened, but today and every day. For me to stand there and wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, you give me another day. And today, I wanna, I'm, I've messed up. I will mess up, but I'm asking for your grace to cover me. And please, would you help me? I love it what J. John says. That Christian's not somebody who, who says that they're, they're not sinless, but you're praying that you'll sin less. I want to sin less. I want that less and less to mark my life. I want this new future that it's got, it's got for me. So how do we do that? We've got to confess it and renounce it. There's a book I've just read recently. I, don't, I'm not, I read a lot of books. I'm not necessarily recommending all of this. It's got a lot of swearing in it. But there's a, this guy, you might recognise him off the telly. This, um, off the SAS stuff that's on the television. And, and right at the end, he says this. And he, I mean, his life's been a bit of a nightmare in all kinds of ways. He's been in prison and various things like this. But... He's talking about how we, um, how, do we, how do we get into, the mind, into a different mindset he's talking about. And obviously this is not a Christian book. But, um, but he, says, he says, I'm not going to call this three easy steps because they're not easy, but they are possible. You don't have to be a special person to do them, but you, need, you do need courage. Now I've read this kind of thing and what, these steps that he talks about, I find this in lots and lots of other books from people who've in some way broken through into living a different kind of life. The variation on this. The first step is the hardest. In fact, it might be the hardest thing you ever do. You should stand in front of the mirror and be brutally honest with yourself. You won't want to be. Every atom in your body may well resist. Criticism from other people is bad enough. The last thing you need is criticism from yourself. But I want you to rip yourself to bits. Look, in the, look yourself in the eye and say, what don't I like about myself? 
doesn't matter if it's something physical or something to do with your personality or character. You know what those things are. Maybe you're annoying or big-headed or you talk too much or you're patronising or you're a nightmare when you've had a drink. Name the things you need to change about yourself. Look yourself in the eye and say them aloud. Every single one. Don't hold back. This is about brutal honesty. The moment you can achieve this kind of honesty is the moment you can start to accept yourself for who you are and then you can begin to make changes and become a better you. This level of honesty frees you. It also bulletproofs you against the criticism of other people. Step two, blame yourself. I don't care how many reasons you have for blaming other people or events from your past. Maybe your mum beat you, maybe your dad left. Maybe you're not as clever as you might want to be. Maybe you're poor, maybe you suffer from depression, maybe you had polio and walk with a limp. I promise you, there's not a man or woman on earth who can't list a whole host of reasons that lie behind their failures. And guess what, they're right. In reality, there are usually multiple reasons for failure. Many other reasons will be outside of our control, but I don't care about any of that and neither should you. Looking back will not take you forwards. So let's say it's true that some of your problems today have their roots in something that happened 20 years ago. What are you going to do about that? Assuming you haven't got a TARDIS parked in your back garden. That kind of blameful backwards thinking is a dead end. It will only lead you to feeling a victim. It will demotivate you, leave you angry and resentful, take up headspace and exhaust you. So even if you're not completely convinced all of your problems are somebody else's fault, find a reason why they are. Why, they, why they're your fault. Look yourself in the eye, say it out loud, rip into yourself, be relentless. By accepting and believing that you are responsible for your life, you'll find a way to process your weaknesses, accept them and move on. And then you'll make progress, sometimes rapidly and dramatically. Step three, fix yourself. This is the bit I don't agree with. Because I tried that one. But what he says is, Stop doing those things you've identified as flaws. If you're annoying when you drink too much, drink less. If you're patronising or big-headed or talk too much, watch yourself for those behaviours. You won't wipe them out immediately. Sometimes you'll take three or four steps back, but every step is a new challenge to tackle. Keep focused on how much better your life will be when you fix those problems that have been grinding at you for so many years. So... I think there's something about taking responsibility and at some point recognising many of these things are patterns. Many of these things are, I start down that path and I end up in that place because I started down that path in my mind or in my behaviours and ultimately if I keep walking down that path, there's no point in me talking to God about why I ended up here. You'll say it's obvious, you started down that path and you walked along those steps, that's what brought you to there. But finally, we know I can't fix myself, I need salvation. And I need that ongoing salvation. I need that ongoing forgiveness. And the good news is, whatever we've done, God doesn't want us to live in worldly sorrow for it. He wants us to come into a place of godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, which then leads to salvation, and a new life, and a new you, and you become the new creation. But I think if it starts by looking in the mirror... The Bible says it's a mirror when we look into it. When you look into it and you find elements of Joseph's story or what happened with Reuben or what happened with his dad. And what if you find all those things reflecting something on you, then learn from them. Not so that God never wants to bring us into condemnation. He wants to bring us into a place of, of confession, agreeing with him. 
and then from that he's going to bring us into a, into a place of salvation and a new life. So if it's sin, call it sin. Don't call it a mistake. Don't call it a, just the way I am. Don't say that's just the way we are in my family. Call it what it is. Name it. Something to do, even to journal it. If you're, if you're a journaling person, write it out. Don't just put, oh God, I'm sorry, I sinned. When I did that, that was gossip. When I did that, I didn't tell the truth. That was a lie. After a while, you start to write those things, you're going to want to change. Because nobody wants to keep on writing that same thing about themselves. You're going to want to change. Be brutally honest. Nothing's going to shock God. It's not like you're going to put that and he's going to go, Oh, you told a lie. Because he just wants you to tell the truth. Even about the facts that you told a lie. So there's something that Zoe and I did a few weeks ago, and uh, well, a couple of months ago, and it, it, was, it, it was a bit life-changing, so we keep on doing it every few weeks. And uh, I'm going to do it. If the band wants to come up, that would be great. Because just to be able to maybe play at some point in this, but I want to invite you into doing something, which is a prayer thing from a guy called Derek Prince. And he talks about how we can end up, even through this, to me, it can be like a spirit that attaches to us. That's really what we're talking about. And that sort of hangs over you, that connects you. It can be sometimes in our interactions with other people. We end up colluding and inviting ourselves into some form of agreement, I think, was the word. And actually, I don't want any agreements with anything other than Jesus Christ. I don't want any spirit that's attaching to me, a spirit of guilt or condemnation or shame or anything else. I just want the Holy Spirit. Don't know about anybody else. I don't want anything from the past to, to affect me today and go into the future. So I'm going to lead you through a prayer. I'm going to say the words out loud. I invite you to say the words out loud with me. And in doing so, I believe this can be really powerful. It can break us into a new place. Into a, and it did it for me and Zoe. And so much so that three weeks later, we had to do it again. <laughs> and then three weeks later, we had to do it again. And, uh, but I want to invite you to stand up if you're able. And I'm going to read you through this stuff. And then if you want to, you can pray this and, to, and believe that it will bring you into a new place in the future by breaking off stuff from the past. Mindsets, things that I need to be forgiven of, things that I need to be, that other people I need to forgive. And as the Holy Spirit brings anything to mind, remember, if there's a situation, if there's a face, if there's a name, it's not to condemn you, it's to release you so that then you can move into something different. So I'm going to say the words, and if you want to, you can agree with them and, and say the words yourself. Are we ready? No, hang on. Are we ready? Okay. Lord Jesus Christ, I affirm that you are the Son of God and the only door to everlasting life. I acknowledge that you died for my sins on the cross 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead by the power of your Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit power is greater than all of the powers and has already defeated the enemy on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lord Jesus, I renounce all arrogance Self-sufficiency and pride, which was the downfall of Satan. I have nothing and am nothing, except in you, my hiding place. Now, Lord Jesus, I confess all my sins. 
and especially you fill in the blank if there's something in your mind that you need to just and you can whisper it you can say it out loud you can talk to God about it but if there's something that you know that came to mind even as I was talking if there was something that that a guilt from the past name it as such a sin a pattern the behavior an attitude a habit whatever it is speak it out and confess it as sin just to God it's very powerful the Bible says confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed just give that a moment Holy Spirit please come and bring your conviction Lord Jesus you said when the Spirit comes he will convict the world with regard to sin and righteousness and judgment so we pray for you to come so that we might be free this is things we have done And you can also say this, Lord Jesus, I confess all my omissions. That's things I haven't done that I should have done. Whatever they are. So many things that we, we just resist the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and do. And then this is all about family stuff. This is connections going back. And every one of us, you know, if you did your family tree, there's so many things that our ancestors and family members could have been involved with that invoke and involve potential curses over our lives. And the only way to deal with those is to renounce them. Say, that isn't going to mark my life. So I confess the sins of my ancestors. Say this out loud. I confess the sins of my ancestors. Because Deuteronomy talks about the sins of the ancestors are going to be passed on from generation to generation. But it says also that the mercies of God will continue for generation to generation a lot longer, a lot further. And that's what he wants for us. So if there's anything that you know of in your family background, witchcraft, spiritualism, any methods of just bringing about ungodly control any curses I believe Freemasonry is something that affects a lot of families because in that people are bringing down calling down curses upon themselves and their families if they uh, if they were ever to break the secrets of it so I have to renounce that confess that Lord Jesus I apologize for the sins and omissions which I have just now stated. I promise to try with your help and the help of my brothers and sisters not to repeat these sins. And if I stumble and fall, I will confess immediately and turn to you for help. With your help, I will resist temptation and negative attitudes, especially rejection. With your help, I will obey you and not my negative feelings and thoughts. With your help, I will be the friend that I need and want in my life. 
Lord Jesus, I forgive everyone, whether they deserve it or not, because you forgave me and held nothing back on the cross. I now especially forgive if there was somebody who came to mind that you shouldn't forgive, that's the person you should forgive. If somebody come to mind that you can't forgive, the Holy Spirit wants to help you to forgive them. And even just to begin to say the words. Doesn't mean what they did was right. Doesn't mean that they can get to do it again. Doesn't mean if they hurt you, you should go back to them. Doesn't mean if they've abused you, you should say, and now I'm going to let you do that again. Who is it? You untie, unloose in the name of Jesus, that person. The forgive word in Greek is, oh, it's about untying, unloosing. You tie yourself loose from that person. You hand them over to God. So well, who is it? Say the, say the name out loud. It doesn't have to be loud, loud, but speak the name out. There was somebody I had to forgive years ago. It took me months before I actually felt it, but I've been saying it for a long time. And now especially forgive. Say the name. Lord Jesus, as you bring to my attention any occult activity, situation or object that displeases you, I will repent and sever my relationship with it, even if it is very valuable. I was thinking there's anything in your home you brought in that is an idol anything Lord Jesus thank you for becoming a curse for me on the cross so that I may be freed from all curses due to my sins or the sins of my ancestors and I receive your blessings in Jesus name Lord Jesus, I take my stand in your name against all Satan's powers. I trust that you will take care of them as you take care of me. I resist the devil and he must flee. In your name, Lord Jesus. And I speak to you that have tried to control me over all things from the dominion of darkness I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and I command you to quietly go from me now go away from me in the name of Jesus I expel you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I command you to never return I close all gates and doors that would have allowed you entry and I adore and praise you Jesus that I am free in you. Holy Spirit, please come and fill me. Every empty spot. May I be filled to overflowing. Lord, as my heart is full of joy and gratefulness, now I will worship you. Free from guilt and shame, I 
Thank you, Jesus. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I just take the sword of the Spirit and I cut you off for every assignment, every word spoken over you that is not the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, I cut you free to serve him. I, I lift off of you every lie, every curse, every, every pattern, everything that would cause to bring you backwards rather than have you go forwards in Jesus Christ. And I declare freedom from captivity for you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you as we worship you now. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.